I do want to do a Father's Day focused message today. And I want to connect it to two verses in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians. And that is verses 11 and 12. Now, this was written by Paul the Apostle, and he uses and applies to himself uh, fatherhood terminology and description. It's not because Paul was a physical or biological father of those that he was writing to. He was a spiritual father, meaning that he, he really, in a spiritual sense, by the grace of God and by God's assignment, he gave birth to the Thessalonian church by leading the Thessalonian believers to the Lord and then forming them into a church. And so he, he refers to his, his early days of ministry to them using a fatherhood relationship kind of description. But I want to take his description of his ministry and then apply that to the hearts of the fathers among us. So let's read 1 Thessalonians 2, 11. Paul writes, For you know how like a father with his children we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Now you know from previous years in other descriptions in other studies that I've done that I, I view um, actual parenting as a as a high-level kingdom assignment from the Lord. Godly mothers and godly fathers serve a very, very important purpose in the Lord's uh, plans and unfolding purposes in this world. Uh, It's sad, and it's just the reality of the time that we live in, the culture and the society that surrounds us, that the culture, for the most part, disregards the importance of those roles. Uh, doesn't assign to them the same kind of significance that the Lord does. Um, But um, no matter what the culture disregards, we should not, as God's people, disregard the importance of the assignment. I want to just start out on a negative note, though, and then try to work our way toward a more positive perspective about the role. Uh, Let me give you some statistics about the role of fathers in a family. And these statistics, interestingly, are not limited to what I would call being a godly father, meaning uh, the father in the family knows the Lord, loves the Lord, is committed to the Lord, studies God's word, and is attempting to pass on a spiritual heritage to his children. These statistics are just for fathers, no matter how much they understand the importance of their role or not, uh, but how much more for the, in terms of those who are actually um, godly fathers. So here, here's seven key statistics, and then we'll talk about uh, how uh, this relates to the passage I just read. Teens from fatherless homes, teenagers, that have been raised in a home without a father's influence are 279% more likely to deal drugs as they, as they reach those years, um, not just possess and use drugs, but actually sell them to others um, than teens raised with a father in the home. Girls aged 13 through 18 who were raised in fatherless homes are four times more likely statistically to get pregnant 
before they are of age and before they marry than teens that are raised with a father's influence. And um, in our criminal justice system, you know, there's a, a segment of our criminal justice system as a society that's dedicated to teenagers. And 85%, it's a high percentage, high number, 85% of currently incarcerated teens in that system have come from fatherless homes. 90% of homeless and runaway children, children under the age of 18, uh, come from fatherless homes. 90%. 75% of teens in substance abuse centers, these are, these are mostly drug and alcohol rehab centers that are dedicated to um, to teens, which is a huge and growing, huger all the time problem in our society. 75% of teens in substance abuse centers are from fatherless homes. Uh, Teens from fatherless homes are two times more likely to commit suicide. Teens with a, with a, um, what was, statistically described as a poor or bad relationship with their father are 68% more likely to end up abusing drugs and alcohol in their own lives. All right, so the reason I shared those statistics was not just to you know, send you on a, a downer at, at the beginning of Father's Day, but to highlight um, just how important and significant a father's influence is, even when it's not a godly father. Just, just the father being present in the home. And, you know, I was raised by a man that did not know the Lord. He was, a, he was an atheist. And, and yet, there were some good things I learned from him. There were some, some influences that he exerted on my life that made me a better person as far as the society would evaluate and um, judge than I would have been without his influence in the home. And so, again, how much more uh, um, could a godly father's intentional and purposeful influence in his home have an impact on the hearts and lives of those that are being raised in that home? So I chose this passage from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 because there is a, a single aspect of a godly father's interaction with his children and the influence that he's meant to have on their hearts, their lives, their character development, their future, that, uh, that is um, in the spotlight. So let me reread just those two verses. And then I want to highlight that single aspect by focusing our attention on three key words, but they're all essentially saying the same thing, just different aspects of that one key thing. So 1 Thessalonians 2.11 again. Paul writes, For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So this is what sets apart a godly father's influence from just a father who happens to be present in the home but is not all that connected or committed or caring about his children. 
And that distinction is highlighted by three key words here in uh, verse 12. And Paul identifies that this is, he's, he's describing his own ministry to the Thessalonians, but he's using father to children as a known commodity, so to speak, a known kind of connection to describe this, I, I was that way toward you. And the three key words are in verse 12. We exhorted each one of you. We encouraged each one of you. And we charged each one of you to walk in a manner worthy of God. So the, the words are exhort, encourage, and charge. And my message this morning is, of course, aimed mostly, I think we can all benefit from the study, uh, but mostly it's aimed at the fathers among us and particularly to the younger fathers among us who are in, in a sense, you know, at, at the, just the beginning of the stage of, of what this describes and the kind of effect and influence and impact you're meant to have on your children. And that is, you are to be a father who exhorts, encourages, and charges each one of your children. Now, all three of those words capture one concept, and the concept is this. What's happening when you're exhorting someone? What's happening when you're encouraging someone? What's happening when you charge someone? What's happening is what we call a conversation is taking place. And a conversation in the context of a father-to-child relationship is focused on a heart-to-heart connection between the father and that child. There is, as a father, there, there is a range of responsibilities that the Lord has given you that these three words don't fully encompass. You're called to go out there and work hard and provide for your family. Literally put food on the table so that their physical bodies survive in this world and even thrive in this world. You're called to protect them. You're called to be, in a sense, the guardian to your family. You're the one at the gates of the, of the family to, <clears throat> to filter what comes in and what goes out. And there are many other aspects of your assignment and your role as a father. But these three all relate to just one concept, and that is, do you have a heart-to-heart connection with your children? And if you do, you should be having conversations with them. And those conversations can be, at any given moment, not filled with any of these three words and, and what they describe. You can have a conversation about baseball. You can have a conversation about sewing. If you know, you're talking to one of your children that's interested in sewing. You can be, you can be having a conversation about any common interest or, or any concern that's on your heart. But if your conversations at key moments do not include these three words, these three key concepts, then you are going to miss the impact and the influence you're meant to have on their hearts. Because all three of these words are words that have to do with you exerting in the right way a strong influence on their heart, on their perspective, on their opinions, on their decisions, on their priorities, on their behavior, on their attitude. 
and on ultimately their future. You are meant to be influencing them. Now, we've talked about this not too long ago, I think, but uh, you know how there's a, a new, uh, <laughs> there's, like, there's a new thing it's not brand new. It's been around for a while. But there's a new thing that has developed because of the Internet and because of certain uh, social media sites on the Internet like Instagram and other, other sites like that. And uh, the new thing is, is uh, people making truckloads of money as uh, influencers, right? What do we, what do we, why do we call them influencers? And is it, is it an appropriate term to, to attach to them? And the answer is it's a very appropriate term because that's exactly what they're doing. They are not just putting their stuff on Instagram and other sites like that in order for you, your, your young ones to watch and just go, oh, isn't that interesting? The whole point of them identifying themselves as an influencer is that people that watch them tend to want to be more, what? Like them. Now, All I want you to get as a father is that you are meant to be in all of the influences they will ever experience in their young lives before they reach the point where they've grown up and now moved out of the home. Until that key moment where they cross that threshold and leave your home like birds flying out of the nest. Until that moment, you as a godly father, are meant to be the strongest influence in their entire life. The strongest influence in their entire life. Now, that's not automatic. That doesn't happen just because it should happen. It doesn't happen just because you even want it to happen. But it should be happening. And unless you understand these three key words and how they apply to your connection to your children, it won't happen just because it should happen. So let's talk a little bit about each one of these three words. I don't want to, I'm not going to be doing a deep theological dig into these words today. Uh, one or two of them I think you're, you're already very familiar with, and so I just want to uh, share briefly as a reminder of what's involved. We've spent a lot of time in the last, it's been four years now that we've been doing the um, home church studies through the the particular group of what we call New Testament exhortations that are found in the letters of Paul. And um, eventually we'll get to others' letters as well, but we're just finishing up Paul's letters after four years. And so we've been studying exhortations. And each time we do our monthly home church studies, we go through a brief review of the definition of exhortation. So it's probably so familiar to you that it's kind of bleeding out of your ears by now. But uh, just as a reminder, an exhortation is really a word picture. The word literally defined is to call near. It's one person calling out to another person, but to call them near. Now, what does that mean, to call near? What is is the word picture of what's being described? Your words are actually drawing them toward you so that there can be a closer more connected, more intimate connection with the person that you're speaking to. It's a description of what I've tried to describe over and over again each month as a heart-to-heart interaction. But here, it's the father 
calling out to his children in order to call them nearer to him in this heart-to-heart conversation that needs to happen. And as that heart-to-heart conversation unfolds, there are going to be times where the father needs to exhort his children like Paul the Apostle exhorted the churches that he was writing to. And when you exhort, this is what you're doing. You're urging something of them. You're imploring them. That means you're speaking to them in a way that they get that it's really important in your perspective and you're hoping by the grace of God it will become important in their perspective if you can effectively communicate what's so important for them to hear from you, from your heart. And what is the focus of exhortation? What's, let me say it this way. What's the goal of exhortation? Because anytime an exhortation is given, there's always a goal connected to it, something that you hope will be accomplished by exhorting them. And that is the goal is a singular goal. There's not two different goals in, in exhortation. There's only ever one. And the goal is change. You're hoping that your words will hit their young minds, sink into their young hearts, and will result in changing something inside of them. Now, what do you change first? If everything goes as it should, if you effectively can communicate your heart to their heart, what is going to change first? First, you're changing their perspective. And then you hope that's going to seep over the boundaries of their perspective into their attitudes. And then if, if it reaches its full impact in their heart, ultimately what you're after is their behavior. But it starts with just changing how they see what you're talking about, how they understand it. Do they get it? Do they see the importance of what you're discussing with them? And then does it change how they feel about it, their attitude toward it? And then ultimately, does it impact the way they're going to go out in the world and behave where they're not necessarily under your watchful eye every moment of every day? Now, what's the risk of exhortation? We've talked about this in our in our home church studies. What's the risk that's attached every time you exhort someone? Yeah, the risk is... You know, if the goal is change, essentially, you're sending your child down and and, and if you're going to boil it down to its essence, you're basically saying to them, you need to change. And not everyone is comfortable. In fact, by nature, all of us are somewhat uncomfortable at the starting point of that conversation with having our lives put under the spotlight and being told you need to change in this way or this area of your life, this thing that has been going on in your life. Why why is that uncomfortable to be told that you need to change? Yeah, because it implies that you're not perfect yet. Is that a bad implication? No, it's not a bad implication because there's no one that is perfect. Everyone needs to change. The father who's giving the exhortation needs to change. 
The only one that doesn't need to change is the Lord Jesus because he's perfect already. But other than him, we all are in this, this continuing change mechanism that we call sanctification. That is, of course, if the child already truly knows the Lord. Now, even believers, it's uncomfortable. Some of the most challenging and difficult moments of my my 40 years, 40 some odd years of walking with the Lord have been moments where some good-hearted believer came up to me and highlighted some area of my attitude or my behavior that needed to change, needed a greater application of, of, of God's grace in that area of my life. I needed to, to pay attention to something that I wasn't even that necessarily aware that I needed to change in. But if you understand the value of a person that comes to you with your best interests at heart, and that, of course, every godly father should only ever have their child's best interests at heart, um, you can learn to appreciate. You can learn to value words that are even making you temporarily uncomfortable because you know that by the, by the direction that's represented in those words, uh, there's a new avenue now for me to actually become uh, more of the person that I actually should be, more of the person that the Lord wants me to be. Now, let me give you a word picture then that describes the role of the father to his children when they are in this healthy exhortation, interaction, relationship with their children. Um, How many of you drive cars? Okay, so in your car, you have uh, a, a center, you know, on the inside of your windshield, a center rear view mirror, which is very useful and very helpful. And uh, because you have that rear view mirror, there are probably accidents you would have gotten into without it. And then on the outside of your vehicle, on either side of the vehicle, we have these side mirrors. We've got a wonderful rear view mirror. Why in the world would we need side mirrors too? They just kind of stick out and get in the way. Why do we need those side mirrors? They show something different and what they particularly show that the rear view mirror doesn't show is what we call our vehicle's blind spot. There is a blind spot that every vehicle has where if you just look in the rear view mirror, just at a certain point to your rear left and at a certain point to your rear right, you cannot see what's actually happening there. And uh, just the other day, I was in a traffic circumstance and I was, I was thinking, I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna move over a lane to the left. And I just had a, a pause. I just like, I, I don't know why I paused because usually I think I'm gonna move over and I'll just check my mirror real quick and move over. But in this case, I didn't check my mirror and I just paused for a second. And then the very next second, there was a car right next to me. I mean, he, had, he was coming up and I never saw him. He was in my blind spot. He was coming up and he was just right there. And I realized had I not paused, I would have just, I would have drifted over and at the very least bumped him, maybe caused a crash. Who knows what could have resulted in that circumstance. So as a father, I want you to see yourself in the relationship to your children as this. You are their side mirrors. You're meant to be anyway. They've got a rear view mirror, which is their own conscience. But their own conscience doesn't cover everything that they need to see and need to understand about themselves and their relationship 
to the world around them. Because the world around them, like traffic, it's a dangerous place. And they are constantly in danger. They just don't realize that they are. And so you have to fill in the missing information in their personal blind spots because they have them. They just yet, at their young age, don't know that they have them. Now, here's the problem, though. Uh, Turn with me from Thessalonians, if you would, to Colossians 3.21. In a relationship of exhortation, there is a potential problem. Colossians chapter 3. I'm just going to read a single verse. Verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now there's a full range that that word provoke represents of of relational interactions between fathers and their children. And here, he's addressing godly fathers. Not just present in the household, but uncaring and unconcerned about the children. This is a a father who's pressing in in their relationship with their children. But the danger for the father is they can cross the line, even with best intentions, good intentions. I want to have an impact and an influence on my children's lives. Here's the problem, though. I can cross a line and go from helping them, blessing them, encouraging them, strengthening them, uh, raising them in the way that they should. I can cross the line into provoking them. Now, there's all kinds of ways you can provoke your children, and they probably let you know already uh, what some of those ways are. But what I want you to think of in terms of this exhortation relationship with your children is you can provoke your children by exhorting them too much. So here I am this morning, I'm telling you, you should be exhorting your children. And I'm going to add to that, but don't exhort them too much. So how do you know how much is enough versus how much is too much? I wish I could give you a specific number. Okay, like seven exhortations a week, that's the perfect sweet spot. If there's only six, you haven't exhorted enough. If there's eight, you've gone way overboard. You know, I wish I could give you a number like that. You have to kind of discern that. You have to learn how, you have to not just exhort them, you have to observe how your exhortations are being received and how they're affecting them and how it's not just affecting their decisions for themselves in the future, but how it's affecting your connection to them, your relationship to them. You have to sense when you're going too far. And you can. It's got what I'm going to call exhortation fatigue, which you guys may already be experiencing from our four years of studying those exhortations in home church. You may be having exhortation fatigue now for that study. Um, but you can, you can take your children to that line and then cross over that line. And then what happens when you cross over that line? They just kind of, you know, they tune you out. And you, they become like the, uh, or you become like the... Uh, the adults in the Charlie Brown cartoons? Yeah, right. They hear noise, but it doesn't make much sense and it doesn't really impact their hearts at that point. So all I can say is this. Pick your exhortation spots wisely. Choose your moments. Not everything needs to be exhorted. Why did you pour your Cheerios that way? You don't need to exhort on that, right? 
doesn't matter how they pour their Cheerios out. As long as they're not getting it all over the table and all over the floor. If they did, then okay, that's a valid exhortation. But if, if they just, you know, they, they poured it in a way that you don't pour them, that's, that's not worth it. You're going to wear them out at that point. So here, I would just say this. Exhortations really, to get you started on discerning how much and how far to go, exhortations really need to be, you have to always keep in mind as a godly father, is this, if, you know, if the Lord Jesus were here, would he exhort his disciples on this or would he let this slide? And there are things that the Lord lets slide. I mean, we... We spent 11 years in the Gospel of Matthew with the interaction between Jesus and his disciples, and we see some, some big mess-ups by the disciples in the, in the Gospels. I guarantee you, not all of their mess-ups were recorded. I guarantee you there were many things that he let slide. Not sinful things, but just things that, you know, you know Peter, he's acting up, and he's, you know, he's jumping in where he shouldn't. I'm, I'm sure that wasn't like, oh, you know, once every six months, Peter... Uh, crosses the line so you just have to know when by discernment when to um, when to cross the line and and when not to cross the line when to actually uh, make this worthy of an exhortation all right now the second of the key words is to encourage Uh, let me define encourage this way it's speech that strengthens and prepares a person for coming challenges. And the best way I can distinguish it from exhortation, because they go hand in hand, but they really are different and they really are distinct. If exhortation is designed to tear down, and it is, then encouragement is designed to build up, and it does. So why would you, if in terms of exhortation, why would you ever want to tear anything down in your child's life? Because things are being built up in them that don't need to be built up in them, that should never be built up in them. So someone has to come along and demolish that, tear that down, and, and cart away the, the rubble of the, of the demolition. But then where, if, you just, if you only ever exhort them, then as far as they're concerned, all you ever do is tear them down. There's got to be a corresponding buildup that goes into motion. Now, the one thing I do want to make sure you understand, though, about encouragement, and our culture has really missed the boat on this, our culture is pretty much disconnected from parenting exhortation. It's almost like exhortation for parents is off, you know, it's off limits. And all you're ever supposed to do anymore is encourage. And it's gotten so bad that our culture teaches parents to encourage even when there's no cause for encouragement. You know, like the whole, um, yeah, the whole participation trophy in, in young sports kind of thing. You know, which is, you know, my child is out there swinging at the ball in baseball and they're missing every time. They just swing and miss, swing and miss. And the parents over there, oh, you're doing great. You're doing great. Thinking they're encouraging. They're not encouraging at all because the child knows the truth. I'm doing horrible. Why are you telling me I'm doing great? And, and, and in that circumstance, the child is going to just tune you out as well. Just like they can tune an exhortation out, they can tune out an encouragement. So encouragement has to be truth-based, always truth-based. 
And what is it specifically that you should be encouraging them about? You should be observing them for any God-pleasing attitudes and behaviors that they are displaying. And when you see it, jump in and encourage them. Strengthen them. Make sure, I mean, give them a good, healthy pat on the spiritual back to make sure that they understand how wonderful it is that they just displayed some godly characteristic or they had, when they could have had a really bad and, and, and sinful attitude, they had a sterling attitude in that circumstance. And if you miss those moments, it's just as dangerous or deadly to the relationship as a father to child as it is if you miss the moments where you need to exhort them. Because both things, tearing down where they need to be torn down inside and built up where they need to be built up inside. Uh, Let me give you an example, one example from the Lord's relationship to an entire church. This is from Revelation chapter 3. Just a single verse. Uh, These are chapter 2 and 3 of Revelation, you're familiar. These are seven short letters to seven different churches. And in all of these letters, there were words of exhortation. Every single one of them had a word of exhortation from the Lord. And... uh, not all of them, but a few of them also received words of encouragement from the Lord. Now, that, what that tells me is this. Not all the churches deserved to be encouraged by the Lord because not all churches were doing anything that was pleasing to the Lord. So the ones that were doing nothing pleasing in the Lord's sight received no encouragement whatsoever. Again, encouragement always has to be truth-based. But here in Revelation 3.8, the church in Philadelphia was the one church that the Lord really made sure to strongly encourage. But he says it to this, he says it in this way, and again, this is that truth-based concept of, of encouragement. The Lord says to them, I know your works. And the implication is these are good works. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I, I know that you have but little power. And yet you have kept my name and have not denied my name. Kept my word and not denied my name. I like this line. I know that you have but little power. If the Lord was like a, a fake encourager, like our, our culture um, promotes nowadays, he'd be saying to the church, I know you guys are just filled with all of my power. He doesn't say that. He says, I know you have just a little power. You're, in other words, he's basically saying, you're mostly weak. <laughs> but he says it as an encouragement because they do have a little power. And they're doing the right thing with the little power that they have. And so he pats them on the back and he encourages them. And by those words, he strengthens them for the future challenges that are ahead of them. All right, last of the three key words for fathers in their relationship to their kids. You're exhorting them, picking your spots. You're encouraging them, building them up as much as you're tearing down. And then the final word is you're charging them. This is the one word that our culture has completely lost its connection to. There is not a single parenting class that's offered from a worldly perspective that includes this concept of charge. It literally means to bear witness in a sacred context in order to make the person that's being charged accountable to someone above them. To bear witness in a sacred context and in order to make that person accountable to someone above them. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3. 
If you'd join me there for just a moment. If I can find it. First Peter 5, verse 3. This is again talking about church leadership, not father-son, father-daughter. Church leadership. Church leadership to church. But the connection, the concept of charge is the same in both contexts. I'll read verse 2 just to get the flow. Peter writes, Shepherd the church of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. All right, so a charge is a special kind of communication. And this is where a charge applies and only where a charge applies. If I walk into Ralph's grocery store and I'm at the checkout line and a stranger I've never seen is next to me in the checkout line and they're doing something that I don't think they should be doing, should I charge them in that interaction with that stranger? The answer is no, don't say anything. Just keep your mouth shut, you know, mind your own business, unless they're doing something harmful to someone else. Mind your own business and check your own groceries out and leave. Why? Because you have no relationship with that person. You have no heart connection to that person. And the most important thing is, the only people you can charge are those that you're in charge of. So you have to be in charge of someone to be able to charge them with your words. Meaning real spiritual authority has to be present in the relationship in order for a charge to be valid in, in, in communication of words. So a child cannot charge their parents. A brother cannot charge a brother. But a pastor can charge a church. A parent can charge their children. And what you're doing when you're charging them is this. You're, number one, informing the child of the engaged presence of the Lord in their life. You're making them more aware than they were before you opened your mouth as to how involved and engaged the Lord actually is in their life. Second, you're making the child aware of the Lord's special purpose for their life. Meaning they have a reason why they exist. They may not understand it yet. They may not see it clearly yet. They may not be living it out yet. But the Lord brought them into this world for a reason and he has a purpose for them. You see it more clearly than they do and so you're making them aware of that purpose. And third, you are making them personally and directly accountable to the Lord. Let's go back to our starting passage and we'll end uh, here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I left out the last phrase on purpose. I want to highlight it now. 1 Thessalonians 2, I'll read verse 11 and 12 again. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to do what? to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The person that's charging the other is 
is in a sense like in a you're you're acting like a, an electrician that's connecting two two live wires together and the live wires are the lord and your child the lord has his own way of eventually doing this but at this key point in their lives he's using you to connect the two together to make them more fully aware of how the lord is engaged in their life making them more aware of the lord's purpose for their life and then making them accountable to the lord now the timing of the charge is different than exhortations and encouragement there should not be a single week in your child's life where they don't receive at least one exhortation from you and at least one encouragement from you maybe there'd be a day that you'll skip where you you don't have that kind of heart-to-heart interaction with them maybe a day but it shouldn't be two or three or four days goes by and you haven't had that kind of heart-to-heart conversation with them but a charge is rare and it's meant to be rare it's infrequent there should probably only be two or three or four times at most in their entire life that you charge them and the last time should be when when it's time for you to release them to go out and as an adult live their own life one final serious heart-to-heart talk where you are charging them to embrace the reality of the lord and his purposes and relationship with them in terms of what it's meant to develop into and now you're you're releasing them to him and to the life that's ahead of them if you if you charge them every week the charge is going to lose its its intended impact it's supposed to be a a special and unique moment of you speaking into their heart but you have to know when those moments come all right we are going to stop here let me let me pray briefly for the fathers and then we're going to sing one last song of worship uh, which i think is focused on the lord's relationship with us as our heavenly father but let's let's pray father i want to thank you for your word that speaks to every area of our lives to all of the relationships of our lives but i i want to thank you for today the opportunity to stop and just give a word of exhortation a word of encouragement and a word of charge to the godly fathers among us please pour out your grace upon their hearts lord you know they need it and uh, their children need to experience it through them We thank you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.